You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. of demonstrations against police brutality have thrust police reform into the center of the national conversation. But just how deep will those reforms really go? I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today on the program, as calls to defund the police gain mainstream traction, we consider those calls as well as the growing pushback against them. Up ahead, we'll be hearing about two very different visions for reform coming out of San Francisco. First, that from a city lawmaker whose reform agenda includes cuts to the police budget. If we get the right number, we can make a tangible investment and start to provide some real reparation opportunities. Then we speak with a police official who agrees that reform is necessary, but draws the line at defunding. What I'm seeing defunding is, it's basically cutting public safety budgets. Starting off, we'll be hearing from that lawmaker, San Francisco Supervisor Shimon Walton, whose district includes the city's Bayview and Hunters Point neighborhoods. He's been among the city's leading voices for police reform. I spoke with him about what he's hoping to see. Supervisor Walton, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you so much for having me. So there's been a flurry of proposals when it comes to police reform over the last couple of weeks, and it can be easy to lose track of it all. But I want to flag one piece of uh, early reform proposal that you forwarded along with San Francisco Mayor London Breed, that being the idea to take a portion of funding from the SFPD and redirect it towards the African-American community. That seems to be really the crux of what we mean when we talk about defund police. So tell me a little bit about that proposal and what it might look like. So one, it's important to understand that we are doing everything that we can to change the dynamic and where law enforcement is over aggressive with black people and people of color to the point where there have been killings of unarmed black men, unarmed black people, unarmed people of color, uh, not only in San Francisco, but across this country. And so we are going to redirect resources from the police department because there's many other ways to keep people safe in our communities and focus on doing things more with the framework and the stance of having peace officers in our community. We want to redirect resources from the police department and invest them into the black community so we can address some of the systemic racism, some of the systemic and uh, systematic oppression that exists in our city and make some real change so that we can lead to some successful outcomes for black people here in San Francisco. What we're doing right now is obviously coming through the police department budget, looking at the areas where we can see, where we can redirect resources and make that investment. Uh, we already had a reparations process that we were working and focused on before the shelter in place orders came about and before the COVID-19 pandemic, where we were talking with black community leaders of black community about the areas of injustice that they identified. So whether it's unemployment, education, over-criminalization, 
black businesses and how we need to support them. The out migration here in San Francisco, really looking at all of the negative impacts of slavery and of redlining and of things that have happened in our local municipality to lead to some of the negative outcomes for black people. So we're talking about a department with a budget roughly on the scale of $700 million a year. What is the scale of the cut that you think should be considered? So uh, I've definitely been trying not to put numbers on anything. Um, The proposed police budget for 2021 is uh, over $700 million, about 730-something plus. Um, The mayor did give a directive and said that she would like all city departments to cut between 10 and 15% of their budget. Obviously, if we're looking at over $700 million at the high point, 15%, it's over $105 million that has already been asked of the department to make its reductions. So the investment needs to be on top of that 100 million so we can make sure that we actually have something tangible for the black community and a tangible investment. So when you talk about a tangible investment there, you already discussed a couple of the priorities that you might have in terms of reinvestment, whether it's revitalizing local economies or uh, perhaps improving education outcomes. If we're talking about tens of millions of dollars, maybe even on the scale of $100 million here, give us a sense of what that would mean for reinvestment. How big of a difference could that scale of reinvestment make? Well, obviously, there's no amount of money that is going to make up for 400 plus years of oppression, uh, the hundreds of years of free labor that black people provided for this country. Uh, But I do think uh, if we get the right number, we can make a tangible investment and start to provide some real reparation opportunities that will lead to a point where we can have some of these negative outcomes. We can dismantle them, uh, dismantle some of this impression that has existed do some things to build black wealth so that we can create equity for the black community. We are convening with our community right now, and we want to have those conversations. Now, what do you make of the concern, and we've heard this from police unions in San Francisco and elsewhere, as well as uh, some city leaders throughout the country, that a lot of these police departments are stretched thin in a lot of ways, as is the, the violent crimes that they're trying to prevent or, or investigate. They don't have the resources that they want to carry out all, all those tasks. And to cut their resources now would, would make that even more difficult. What do, you, what, do you, what do you make of that concern? Police budgets have been inflated across this country for a very long time. Uh, I would even say here in San Francisco, that hasn't led to necessarily less crime in certain areas. We've seen decreases in crime. And I haven't seen direct correlations of it about being because we have an astronomical police budget. Uh, Obviously, people in certain positions uh, have things that they're trying to protect. But the reality of it is there's no data that matches that. And we have so many other strategies and ways that we're focused on to keep communities safe that we need to begin to look at real reform. And a big piece of that is making sure that we invest resources somewhere else. You know, it strikes me that if we were having this conversation uh, a year ago or or maybe even just a month ago on police reform, we would probably be talking a lot more about things like uh, police tactics or uh, de-escalation training. Now it really seems like advocates have lost faith in these measures. They're they're really looking for something more fundamental in terms of change. What what in your view, what role does something like de-escalation training have in the current debate? 
de-escalation training is great for officers who are coming into um, the police force and learning how to deal with communities of color without resulting to violence or resorting to trying to use use of force. That is important. Retraining is very hard for people who continuously have complaints of misconduct, continuously have complaints of racial profiling, continuously have complaints of excessive force. That retraining, no, they need to go and not be a part of our law enforcement bodies. So you think perhaps that perception that retraining has not been successful is due to the fact that there has not been uh, firm enough action taken against officers that have committed misconduct? Definitely. I think that law enforcement officials in this city, in this state, in this country have literally gotten away with murder in some cases, and they continue to get uh, not even a slap on the wrist when they do things that are in violation of the law, when they do things that are in violation of people's constitutional rights. And it's not appropriate whether you're law enforcement or not. You have a duty to not mistreat people, a duty to uphold the law and taking the law into your own hands and committing violent acts against communities of color is not something that we should be promoting or accepting. And if you're going to sit there with your knee on someone's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, you're only going to do that because you know there is no consequence to your action. We have to start prosecuting, convicting, and incarcerating law enforcement officers that kill black people and kill people of color, that commit violent crimes and violent acts against folks in our communities because those are crimes and they need to pay for it. Otherwise, the lawlessness that has existed in law enforcement will continue. I guess in closing, if you could, I'm curious for your vision of what does a reconstituted SFPD look like if all the reform measures that you're advocating for go through and and the money is reinvested in the ways that you want to see it reinvested? What does San Francisco, what does the SFPD look like after that? It looks like we don't have racist police officers. It looks like we don't have a system that perpetuates racism and mistreatment of communities of color. It looks like people are trained to respect and uh, love the communities that they're going to be participating in and be a part in. We know that even right now, in some cases, when folks get to our academy, they're trained to have an ill opinion of certain communities here in San Francisco, whether it be Bayview, Sunnydale, Fillmore, Arizona, Western Edition, Lakeview, the Mission. We know that officers are trained during the academy or and told during the academy that these are the communities you need to be aware of. These are the communities that are unsafe. So they come with a tainted view of how certain areas of San Francisco already are before they even come out of the academy. In some cases, these folks uh, have never spent time in our city. So we have to eradicate those types of thoughts, that type of training, those type of views. But the, the ultimate goal, of course, is to get rid of racism and actually have people and in, in, in jobs that are going to be concerned about the communities they serve and treat people with respect while they do their jobs. San Francisco Supervisor Shimon Walton. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, as calls for police reform grow around the country, we get two visions of what that reform might look like. We just heard one of those visions. Now, we're going to hear from someone else who's also advancing a reform agenda, but is coming at it from a very different perspective. That would be Tony Montoya. 
He is the president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association, which just joined with two other big city police unions to put out full-page newspaper ads outlining their own reform plan. That plan includes items like better training, better tracking of misconduct, more transparency. Very much not on their list, though, is any talk of defunding. So I spoke with Montoya about these proposals, as well as why it is that he believes police unions should have a seat at the reform table. Tony Montoya, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Thank you very much for having me. So I want to start with the statement that was put out over the weekend by your union, as well as police unions in San Jose and L.A., calling for a reform agenda going forward. And within the release, there was a statement that acknowledged, quote, there is racism in our communities, and that means across our country. There are some racist police officers, and it continues, uh, police unions must root out racism wherever it rears its ugly head and root out any racist individuals from our profession. Tell me a little bit about what went into that statement. What? How does this moment call upon us to root out that racism? Yeah, the, the, the thought process for going into that particular statement was, you know, it's, it's time that we admitted that unfortunately there are going to be racist police officers in our profession. Um, you know, we could not stand up and say that out of all of labor throughout this country, uh, we're the absolutely only profession without racism. So the first step was admitting that. Uh, we also pointed out that, you know, my members live across the street from you. They live next door to you. Uh, we go to your same grocery store, your same hardware stores. So, you know, we are the community. So that was kind of the whole mindset for uh, when we made that statement. Like I said, the main thing was admitting that there are racist police officers. So given that recognition, your uh, association, as well as the others that we just mentioned, have put out a, a list of proposals. Wondering if you could walk us through some of the key provisions and tell us a little bit why, in your view, these provisions would address the uh, problem of racism that you're identifying right there. Yeah, well, well um, like I said, you know, every department is responsible for implementing its own different policies. Um, you know, in San Francisco, we revamped our use of force policy back in December of 2016. So, you know, we are way ahead of the curve on many agencies when it comes to uh, a lot of what's being said out there. Um, last year, the legislature passed Assembly Bill 392, which standardized use of force throughout the state of California. Because during that process, we learned that not only did many agencies not really have much of a use of force policy, it was kind of really a mixed bag of results as far as what they had. So what that did is a standardized use of force for all law enforcement agencies in the state of California. What we're asking for is to go one step beyond that. And we're saying there should probably be a national model for use of force policies throughout the nation. Um, Many agencies still allow certain techniques that are banned here in San Francisco. Uh, some of those things we've seen over the last few weeks play out um, on national television. So we're saying, you know, maybe we should look at a national model. And that's why the Los Angeles Police Protective League, the San Francisco Police Officers Association, and San Jose Police Officers Association stepped to the forefront and gave that statement we did last Sunday in the newspapers. 
you know, police officers are significant stakeholders in this process, just like the communities we serve. Um, so, like I said, we want to have a seat at the table. We want to be part of the national conversation. Um, earlier this week, my executive leadership met with the black religious leaders of San Francisco, and it was a very good conversation. We sat down, we listened, we had a very frank and candid conversation, and that's where things start, is talking and listening to each other. Mm, all right. Well, there are more reform proposals on your agenda. Uh, accountability measures call for more de-escalation training. But, uh, you know, time constraints being what they are, we're not going to be able to get to all of them uh, in this program. Instead, where I want to take the conversation, and you kind of just raised this in that last point a moment ago, is the broader question of what role police unions should take in the reform conversation right now. Because, I think for a lot of people looking at how police unions have operated in the past, they see an institution that has stymied reform efforts, fought against reforms time and time again. So what would you say to those who are are skeptical of including police unions in this reform push right now? Well, like I said, you know, um, you know, we are the, the union that represents my members, um, you know, so, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, we, we are, well, no, we are stakeholders. You know, we are going to be the ones that are going to be applying uh, these policies and proposals. So, you know, I think it's very important that you ask the people that are doing the job, you know, to have some input. You know, we're not going to just say it's going to be this way or that way. Um, no, but I think that we should have an, an active voice, you know, at the table. Um the POA's role in this right now is to, you know, really reach out to the legislators, our elected officials, whether it's locally at the state level or the national level, talk to them, offer our ideas and suggestions, listen to what they are putting forth and have a candid conversation. You know, our goal right here is to improve policing, make it safer for our members, and safer for the communities we serve. Part of that has to be start with a conversation. All right, and we'll pick up that conversation in just a second. Real quick, want to remind listeners, though, you are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Right now, we are discussing police reform with Tony Montoya, president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association. And so far, we've been talking about the reform agenda that you are in favor of, but uh, there's a lot of folks out there right now that say that these individual measures are just not going to be enough. What's what's really needed, they say, is a more fundamental realignment of priorities. And that includes cuts to the police budget. So, you know, we're, we're getting this term now, defund the police, uh, even coming now from leading figures in San Francisco. So I'm curious for your response to those calls. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you what, you know, what, what I'm seeing the funding is, it's basically cutting public safety budgets. Um, I don't like this, you know, redirecting, reallocating. When you're defunding something, you're reducing the funds available for something. Now, obviously we know that the chief puts forth his own budget to the mayor. As a matter of fact, he submitted his budget uh, for the upcoming fiscal year this last Friday on June the 12th. Um, unfortunately, it's become a national discussion right now. And a way I think it's going about, it's kind of being done in a punitive, in panicked way 
you know, here in San Francisco, you know, like I pointed out earlier, we already have an unacceptable response time to 911 calls. So, you know, when they're talking about defunding, is it going to impact staffing? Is it going to impact equipment? Is it going to impact, you know, some of the discretionary funds the chief has maybe for certain community events? I think we would have to really see what's being cut for us to give a, a little bit more educated opinion on what what's happening. But overall, just on the face is something that I would definitely be opposed to. The flip side of that, though, is that the police department's budget has increased uh, substantially over uh, the last decade. Uh, just reading from the numbers out of the SF Chronicle, they're citing a figure of $170 million uh, in increase over the past decade and uh, more than 500 new officers and staff. So given that increase, why then is it not possible to find some areas that could be trimmed? No, there's definitely, like I said, I would have to sit down and actually... Um, look at the chief's full budget. Um, you know, last year I got up and I did advocate for what the chief had put together that year. Um, you know, the, the majority of the chief's budget really goes to personnel costs, salaries, um, negotiated benefits, things of that nature. Um, you know, there's still a debate going on about exactly how many police officers are needed in San Francisco. Um, everyone used to point to that um, 1992 number of 1,971. Um, as I pointed out in the past that, you know, in the last 25 years, um, our population has grown, our business industry has grown, traffic has grown, calls for service are grown. The only thing that hasn't grown during that time is police staffing. Um, I know that we've been doing our best to recruit and retain officers over the years, but that is not keeping up with overall attrition. So if defunding the police department is going to impact staffing, that's really going to hamper our abilities and further exasperate our response to emergencies and 911 calls and some of the other things uh, as part of our basic duties to do. So um, I keep circling back. I would actually have to see what's being asked of the chief to cut from the budget to give a, a better answers to um, how that would impact uh, my members and our abilities to do our job. Hmm. Now, I've been speaking to a number of advocates over the last couple of weeks on uh, their views for what what direction they'd like to see this reform push take. And, you know, when it when some of the arguments about the, the reduction in service, the potential that there would be fewer officers, fewer patrols, fewer uh, resources for some of these investigations, when that point is raised to them, what they say is the police in their neighborhood right now are not a source of safety or security for them in their view. They do not feel, when they see a police officer around the corner and come on their street, that does not increase their own personal feeling of safety in that moment. So it seems like there's a fairly large divide here. What is there a, a responsibility on the part of law enforcement to bridge that divide? Or how do you, how, how do you interpret those feelings from many of the residents throughout the Bay Area? 
Yeah, I understand. And I hear what they're saying. Um, you know, most of the people that I have the pleasure of interacting with um, appreciate the police officers they have in their district stations and their neighborhoods. And there's one thing that you, you know, you hear consistently, whether it's at the police commission or a board of supervisors meeting, you know, most of these supervisors are asking for more police officers in their respective districts, whether it's so they can deploy more foot patrols or um, implement certain types of uh, community policing programs. Um, you know, that's all good stuff. And I think it's something that we should strive to accomplish. But in order to do that, when you're gonna have the police officers to fill those functions, because the only opportunity right now would be to take some of those officers out of police cars, which is going to further, um, you know, hamper our ability to respond to emergency calls. So like I said, everybody wants foot beats. Everyone likes foot beats. I was a foot beat officer for five years. So I understand um, the positive impacts that can have but it's going to require a fully staffed police department. And that's not something that the city has been able to accomplish right now. We've been in a recruitment and retention crisis for years now. And unfortunately it's not getting any better, you know, in part to, you know, some of the media people out there, it's, you know, if they continue to vilify and demonize police work, it doesn't make it very attractive for people to want to, to come here. So, um, you know, right now we just want to get out there and and highlight the good we're doing, admit that there are shortcomings in our profession. And if we're going to talk about ways to improve things, we just ask that we be part of that conversation. Tony Montoya, president of the San Francisco Police Officers Association. Closing out the program, we're going to hear one last time from San Francisco Supervisor Shimon Walton. Now, obviously, his call for police budget cuts puts him at odds with the reform agenda we just heard outlined. So going back to his vision, I asked Walton why he believes the institution of policing needs a more fundamental rethink. I am not interested in just doing things that are going to be symbolic. I'm interested in making change that is going to change the whole system of how we police, how we treat communities of color, how we make sure that people can do their day-to-day -day and go on about their lives and not have to worry about being profiled and at the worst case scenario, killed by law enforcement. Are you hopeful that change is in the air? This is the time to make this happen? Definitely. Uh, that's why we're pushing the policies that we are here in San Francisco. That's why we see a lot of what's happening across the country. And I definitely am in support of us continuing to do everything we can to have aggressive reform and, and do it right away. This has been KCBS In-Depth, a production of KCBS Radio. I'm Keith Manconi. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.